Welcome to the Stand Up Tragedy podcast. My name's Dave and I'm your host. We're up here at the Edinburgh Festival every day till the 24th, so not very long now, doing an hour of tragedy with a different lineup at the Banshee Labyrinth. We're at 7.30 daily and we're putting out podcasts. We put a few podcasts out so you can listen back to some of our Edinburgh experiences back on the feed. This is the show that took place on the 18th of August. Really great night, putting out the show in full. So sit back, relax, prepare yourself for some tragedy. And if you want to see some more tragedy, but you're not in Edinburgh, then check us out on the 25th of September. We're going to be at the Dog Star in London doing Tragic Friends, which is an Edinburgh reunion where we bring together some of the best acts that we've had at the Fringe. We bring them back to London to show what they did up here. So join us then and join us now for some stand-up tragedy. Hello, everybody. Welcome to stand-up tragedy. Wow. That's good. My name's Dave and I'm your host. Now what we do here at Stand Up Tragedy is we gather together different acts who do different genres of things like spoken word performers, comedians, musicians, storytellers, anybody that we think is doing really great stuff and we ask them to come and stand up on our stage and do some tragedy. Now, it's up to them what they think tragedy is. So we can see a very, we'll probably see a wide variety of different interpretations on that word uh, tonight. And uh, they're going to you know, mix together in a way that I don't know how they're going to mix. You don't know how they're going to mix. It's very exciting. We're making a re- recipe for a meal and we don't know what it is. So it's going to be good. Right. And uh, so that's what we do here. Um, we are a live show. Uh, we are also a podcast. So uh, if you like to listen to podcasts, and, and if you don't, you, why not try? Uh, you, there are, we, you can find us online. We, uh, any, we are anywhere that podcasts kind of gather together online. So iTunes, SoundCloud, the Stitcher Smart Radio app, places like that. Uh, we've already released quite a few uh, podcasts from the Edinburgh Festival. And we've got a, a back catalogue going back three years uh, of our London show and our last year's Edinburgh shows. So there's plenty of tragedy to listen to out there. Um, the one thing I'd like to say to people at this point in the, in the show, and you never know how, how, how much you should be worried or not, but tonight is about tragedy. And so tragedy is about dark things. It's about sad things and death and things like that. So we should be prepared for those uh, topics to come up tonight. Uh, so when you're walking down the street, you could get hit by a car anytime and you just don't know, right? Well, we do know uh, that somebody could... If they stand up on stage, they probably were hit by a car at some point or something like that. You know, they're going to talk about some dark stuff. So be prepared for that. Um, the, uh, the, so this is the, now the sadmin section uh, of, the, of the show uh, where I tell you about some delightful, tragic uh, extras that you can, you, can, you can consider getting today. So, right. So this in my hand is the scent of tragedy. Now, we run this show uh, down in London, and in our last uh, show before we came up, we got a really talented guy called Joe Barrett to design for us the scent of tragedy. Uh, You can find out more about what he does at mutesandinvisible.com. And what he did for us was he designed three different scents of tragedy. Uh, So we're lucky, because this is the winner, and it smells better than the other two. Uh, The the losers that didn't get through were the smell of the tragic drunk and the, 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 the smell of tragic war 
and they were very intense smells. I'm not saying this isn't intense, but it's not as intense as they were. Uh, so this, ladies and gentlemen, is the scent of tragedy. So I'm going to come amongst you now and scent you lightly with my spray. <laughs> We've done quite well. There's been no tragedies because none of you seem to have been allergic to it, so that's good. Uh, so, um, yes, so this is the scent of tragedy that won, and it's supposed to smell like the smell of freshly clean bed linen. Um, now, that doesn't initially sound very tragic, but the, thought, the thinking behind it is that, that when you smell freshly cleaned sheets, those times are not always the happiest. You know, it might be when your partner has just left you, uh, or it might be, for example, when your partner has just died. Uh, yeah. So that's the kind of thing that we ha do here at Stand Up Tragedy. It's about the sweetness, the sweet smell that you may smell at the most darkest times. That's what we like to think of ourselves as. Um, so... So that's the first bit of sub. I mean, the second, uh, so if you put £10 into the hat at the end of the show, you can purchase the scent of tragedy. You can smell of tragedy everywhere you go. You can spray all your friends and make them smell entirely tragic. Uh, it'll be great. Uh, the, if you put uh, a couple of pounds into the, into the hat, or more, or more, of course, uh, you can get one of these. These are tragic snaps, and these were made for us by the author Jay Adamthwaite. Uh, you can find out more about her at jadamthwaite.com. Now, uh, these are little kind of party poppers, but when you pop them, out pops a very short tragic story. So how nice is that? You can get one if you put a couple of quid in. Uh, the... Uh, and the, the last bit of Sadmin is that we are here at Stand Up Tragedy, we're about tragedy in all of its forms. So as you've smelled, we like the smell of tragedy, we like the performance of tragedy. We also like uh, tragedy done using the written word, uh, not performed. So we are launching, we relaunched, in fact, before we came to Edinburgh, our tragic blog. Uh, and we are putting out uh, fiction and non-fiction over there uh, by really talented writers who write tragic things. So if you want to see more of that and you want to have the gateway to all things Stand Up Tragedy, uh, check out www.standuptragedy.co.uk. Sadmin over. Now we're going to get some actual meat of tragedy. Well, we don't know if it's meat. It could be vegetables. We don't know yet. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see if this gentleman is meat or vegetables. I've always wondered that. Uh, <laughs> you can find out more about what he does at www.mackaypoetry.com. Put your hands together, everyone, for James Mackay! So um a lot of tragic things to choose from going on at the moment. Uh, genocide, attempted genocide, war zones and all that kind of thing. The real tragedy, though, the thing that weighs on my mind is that I'm never going to be 27 again. Here's a poem about that. It's an historical epic in blank verse. Yeah, de dum de dum de dum de dum de dum You've got it. Uh, uh, just a couple of health warnings. It does have language in it. Uh, sorry about that. Uh, and also, it does mention Jimmy Savile, which is turning out to be much worse than saying fuck or cunt on stage. It turns out it's absolute death for a poem that has got Jimmy Savile in it, but it's not about that. Okay, it's not about that. It's about me being 27 and lots of other things. The first time I saw Jimmy Savile, wait. The last time I saw Jimmy Savile, hang on, the only time I ever saw Jimmy Savile, it was the morning of the day the sky fell in. And he was running, quarry-like, hard on his trail, the first of the shambolic hordes that fell on Round Hay Park that day. From concrete towers 
and blank estates from towns that sleep their rusty post-industrial sleep beside the grey green hills, forgotten rivers, silent factories and silver seas, their hollow faces burning, ecstasy for breakfast on a weekend like no other. They gathered in their thousands. Friends, this was the Radio One Love Parade in Leeds, AD 2000. Jimmy fucking Savile, arms outstretched in wonder, smiles from childhood, smiled again round speed fuck teeth, and no way past the stumbling embrace and protestations of I love you, man. A garish rabbit in the headlights of the juggernaut. He started 40 years before to get his hands up teenage skirts. Bewildered and confused, he turned and fled. But he was not the only one to get it wrong that day. The Metropolitans, who planned this thing to hit their regional programming targets, bringing urban chic to the benighted provinces, were not to know that in those days, flights to Berlin were cheaper than the train to London, weren't to know how empty cities sang from north to north, machines of loving grace beneath brick arches, concrete under derelict skies, were not to know that what they thought of as fashion was here a broad church with a congregation barely dreamed of in their Soho bar philosophies. In short, they planned for 30,000 and 300,000 came. The phones went first, not that we'd had them long, but long enough to wander off from friends, save in the knowledge they'd be findable again. They weren't. The soft rain hardened. On the grassy banks, we strained to hear the music. The massed and jostling regiments besieged the stage, desperate to drown in waves of bass, but only trickles made it through the press of flesh and barely moistened. Anyone with anything to drop dropped like a stone. Whole legions of the disconnected lay in piled heaps. Others milled around like zombies and and all a thousand various shades of brown and pink and grey twatted bollocked monkeys cavorted angrily around. And now the light came down like something out of Shakespeare. I know a bank where the wild thyme grows, where ox slips and the nodding violet blows, quite over canopied with luscious woodbine, with sweet musk roses and with eglantine. I fucking swear I had no drugs that day. Somewhere beyond the Yorkshire cloud, the sun machine was coming down. Against all odds, one scattered tribe regathered, falling back to where a pasty cellar smuggled in unsanctioned decks behind his van. And there and then we danced. Bodies of noise, bodies of zero dissatisfaction, driving our feet up to the ankles in mud and our heads full under the Aphex twin. And basically, the body is articulated meat. I know I've used that line before. I know also that repetition isn't far off revolution and we all know just how many of those there are per fucking minute. Retreating, the horde flooded the station road with knots of barely sentient carnage. Humanity like lichen lounged and spaced and Mitsubishi'd everything before them. Days elapsed before the wards of hospitals for miles around were clear. Glass sharply carpeted the grassy banks for weeks. The sky came down. Our shoulders and our shoes got slowly damp, and we just let it happen. Shimmer turned to afterglow, and ebb and flow, and beautiful and lost always. Hey, thank you very much. Let's see ya. Uh, and just one second one. Uh,
If you want a real tale of tragedy and woe, you find a poet and you ask them about money. It's, it's a full-time job that you have to have another full-time job in order to keep yourself in your first full-time job, and you end up doing all sorts of bizarre things with your life. Uh, and this is a poem that I wrote quite a long time ago, in fact, when I was 27, uh, about a particular job that I had uh, one summer to support myself through the poeting. It's called Experience Not Essential. The ad read short and sweet. Omnipotent creator type wanted for fucked up world. And to be honest, I needed the money. You know how it is, what were the price of everything? The hours seemed daunting, but they explained at the agency that freedom from the constraints of space and time was a standard clause in the contract. The job's sole flaw in their eyes was the relative lack of openings for further advancement. I said, look, I have no ambition. I just want to pay the rent. And they said that was just the kind of answer they were after, though looking back on it, they must have been desperate, the post having been so long unfilled following the shock resignation of the previous employee. But I signed and went home dreaming. Extra bonus weekends in the middle of the week. Atomic bombs that do no harm and have a graceful fallout of pink butterflies. Go back and stop the Inquisition before a single heretic gets even slightly singed. I toyed with plans for a garden filled with every kind of dancing flower and foliage to sing a peaceful shade of music in one long Mediterranean evening for you and I, my love, to sit together through eternity, though it doesn't take an all-knowing deity to figure out that still you wouldn't want to sleep with me. I don't remember much about the job. Too much having to be everywhere in the universe at once, and people dying painfully all the time and not even being allowed to wax wrathful on the bad ones, it being out of line with the Culture of Mercy initiative they've been trying to introduce. I left the only way I could by wiping every bit of consciousness that wasn't just plain, simple, armchair beatnik, something poet, lover of rain on city pavements, and the company of fellow 21st century type degenerates. One last thing. Before I walked, I whacked up the brightness, the color, and the volume on whichever portion of reality I might happen to inhabit for the amusement of my friends and the irritation of my enemies. So far, it seems to be working. I feel bad sometimes about leaving them shorthanded, but... Uh, no one lasts too long, they tell me. Not in that line of work. Thank you. I've been James McKay. Bring on the tragedy. James McKay, everybody. Right. Come in. That's, yes, there's plenty of room for the tragedy of, in the tragedy here. Uh, right. So... Our next uh, performers, uh, they are up here to do some, to do some sets with us uh, at the Edinburgh Festival. They can be found on Twitter at Leo and Liam One, which gives their name away a little bit, but I'm going to say it now again a little bit louder and more introducery. Please, ladies and gentlemen, put your hands together for Leo and Liam! Hi, cheers, thanks. You're right. You're, right. you're right with that microphone, Liam. Yep. All good. Okay. Yours, right. Yeah, great. Yep. Um, yeah. Yep. Uh, I came up to Stand Up Tragedy uh, last year for Edinburgh, uh, but this is your first time, isn't it, Liam? Yep. Yep. Excited to be here. I'm going to move this. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. Uh, we sort of prepared things separately. Uh, I've got a tragic poem about a tragic public figure to read out to you. Um, it's sort of part of his tragedy is that he's not a public figure anymore. It'll, it'll become clear as I. 
as I go through it. Um, you didn't really tell me what, what you'd be doing uh, tonight, Liam. Well, uh, basically, um, being a Whether citizen... On the train. Sorry. Being a citizen of the world, you know, 21st century man, I'm sick of these bloody money men in London, am I right? Having all the money and all the stuff, you know, for, for the, you know, the good ideas. Um, we've all heard of chupper chups and stuff like that. So I'm just here to show tonight that the little people can have good ideas as well um, with something I've invented called the tombola of ideas. And you guys will see what that is in a bit. Can I, I start with my... Uh... Yeah. Right, this is uh, Jason's Lament. Sorry, Jason. sorry do you want to point out who Jason Dore is? Because before I Wikipedia'd him, I thought you'd made him up. No one's ever heard. Anyone ever heard of Jason Dore? No, no, no one gives a shit. So. Sorry, yeah. Uh, yeah, good point. Um, Jason Dore was um, a presenter on the first series of um, the rebranded Top Gear when they brought it back in 2002. Um, it was him, uh, Jeremy Clarkson and Richard Hammond. He was um, taken off, uh, taken off or... You know, did he, you know, did he fall or was he pushed? And it's one of one of one of the themes of the poem. Um, so we'll get started. Thanks. Left on the starting grid, stalled at the first corner, the almost, nearly, not quite member of Top Gear's new world order. Alongside Richard and Jeremy, before James came on the scene, a cheerful, chubby chappy, bringing his knowledge of second-hand cars to the team. The cracks began to show early. Your styles just didn't quite mesh. You, the apologetic parent, too. The bullying kids in the crash. You chuckle as they said something racist. An inkling of guilt in your eyes. To many an awkward viewer, it seemed. You never were one of the guys. Cars were objects of necessity for you. A way of getting from A to B. Why not invest wisely in a reliable model? Why splash out on a Ford GT? But Pajeza and Rich, they were playthings. Hot Wheels for the privileged and rich. Who cares if you write off that 50 grand motor? What's wrong if it ends up in a ditch? You grounded them. Sorry, sorry are, we ever them get, in. are we ever going to get to my bit? Because people are just starting to, people at the back are looking a bit, ooh, and you know, like. Can I start the. Is that okay? Yeah, if you want to get, yeah, if you want to get started. Okay, brilliant, right. Right, I just want to point out it's not about Leo's bit being boring or anything like that. This is just, I like to call this tragetainment, okay? There's something in it for everyone. And in that, in that vein, I've got a song that goes with it. I'll just pop that on. This, ladies and gentlemen, is the tombola of ideas. How about a short round of applause for that? Thank you. It may look like a £3.99 salad spinner, and that is what it is, but um, getting tombolas is surprisingly difficult. What I've got basically here is um, a load of ideas that I put in here, and then I'll come up with different categories, and I'll, I'll get an idea out for that category, and then we'll write, you know, we'll send those off, and then just share the money out between us or something afterwards, all right? So the first round that I've got is um, the government. Ooh, boo. The government's, the government's sort of programme of austerity and despair, I think it might be a bit more palatable if it had a nicer name. So um, in that vein... What's the new name going to be? Exquisite. Exquisite. So the Exquisite program or something. <laughs> you grounded them. You reined them in. Your presence made sure this was a factual program about cars. 
the fact that it was also shot the fact that it was shot in a warehouse also gave it some level of authenticity. A happy medium you provided between we the viewers and the beer-fueled caravan destroying world devoid of women in which they resided. The ratings well never were stellar. In fact they were average at best. And this wasn't good enough for Richard and Jeremy. They wanted to rule the world of, of early Sunday evening television. They wanted hypothetical medals pinning to their chests. A plan was hatched, a scheme devised. The public school boys would stick together to make sure that their hilarious banter remained televised. There's something not right with this team, they said. It's the reason the ratings are low, they said. We have to stop playing these games, they said. We've called an old friend. He's called James. Sorry, you're right. Nervous glances Sorry, in the production. Sorry, mate, are you okay? Sorry, that guy I, there look, was. I saw I, you looking at a tombola, that's just all. Started. <laughs> can I. Do you, I, I just started this one. Sorry. Round two, everyone. <laughs> Back by popular demand. Angelina Jolie, she's got lots of wacky kids, hasn't she? What if they have a new one? Her and Brad. What's that going to be called? Could it be glamour? Glamour. Glamour. Nervous glances in the production office. Whispered conversations. Sorry, is it, is it Pitt Jolie? Is that what they call themselves? Is it, would it be glamour Pitt Jolie? Yes. Right, okay, cheers. Whispered conversations that end as you walk by. Does everyone know something I don't, you think? Of course not. Don't be stupid, they lie. The producer, his beckoning finger. Polite, yet reserved is his tone. He informs you of Andy's decision. Silence. Sorry, hang you on. You walk who's out a alone. Who's Andy? What? You said Andy, I don't think... He's the, he was the executive producer. The executive producer on Top Gear. Right, but next time, just point that out, because even fans of Top Gear might not know who the... I imagine, like, just, the, just, just his place... On, just it. carry on, sorry. Right. Just carry on. Suggest that he had some, you know, decision-making. Okay. Richard and Jezza plead ignorance. It's those lezers and Jews, they exclaim. They run the beeb, dear Jason, old chap. And also the left is to blame. You go back to writing for papers. Being a radio guest brings in the dough. But by chance you're in on a Sunday night. You switch on and your heart fills with woe. A new face next to Jezza and Richard. Unknown, but somehow familiar. They've undone on my well-fought hard work, you cry out. With him, R and J just seem sillier. Who will curb all of Jeremy's extremism? Three faces, sorry, but they seem just one man. Sorry, did you say extremism? Yeah. Just what, what? that ties in very well with my next round, so... Ex no, it's might to be do a good with extremism. Way. Might be a nice little segue, flawless segue to... Yeah, extremism. Can I... Well, I'm more curious now, then. Okay. <laughs> right, who's heard of ISIS? ISIS. Who's, what's ISIS? You know the, the whole sort of political, that tense situation in the Middle East? Yeah. I think they're the, the, bad, the bad men in that. Right. But then they changed their name to IS. So what if they do it again, you know? <laughs> Just let the tombola. <laughs> Suspend. Sounds like a bit like a team on The Apprentice, doesn't it? That's quite good, actually, that one. <laughs> Who will curb all of Jeremy's extremism? Three faces, but they seem just one man. 
I doubt that manage I doubt though that management will stand for this. How long till the BBC ban? Through the years you watch with amusement. They get worse, but the ratings get higher. Merchandise, chat shows, awards, all the rest. And somehow, no one is fired. Of course you're concerned when he crashes. You phone, but no one replies. We've been mates for years, Jezza says on Sky News. You think, was he telling me lies? This isn't the car show at all, you shout out. <laughs> though no one is round you to hear. The shroud of bitterness descends like a cloak. The fridge is opened. You pull out... Are you, just, are you gonna do in another one, then? Is that, is that all right? I'm literally just about to finish. Right, Yankee Candles. Anybody like Yankee Candles? Right, new fragrance, Yankee... You get the deal, he knows what I'm talking about. Here we go. Fabric. That's brilliant. That really just show how good the tombola is. The fridge is opened. You pull out a beer. So farewell, the fifth beetle of Top Gear. Farewell, O presenter of your. A star in a reasonably priced car? I fear not. They'd never let you near the door. Thanks. Oh, thank you. Cheers. Oh, I re genuinely really didn't expect that because it's still in the development stages, but um, thank you so much. And how about a hand for Leo's poem as well? Cheers. It's been Leo and Liam. Thank you very much. Leo and Liam, everybody. Fantastic. Okay. Right, so the next person to do some tragedy for you tonight uh, is also up uh, especially to perform with us. Uh, he's a, a storyteller and comedian, so put your hands together for Andy Bono! Hello. Just so you're not, you know, expecting to laugh too much, I'm being a storyteller tonight. So I have for you a story, it's a true story that happened to me 20 years ago. Uh, it's a story of tragedy and triumph and tragedy. Um, when I was a boy, um, twice a year, uh, my family used to take the to, to drive down the M4 uh, to see my dad's parents. And I used to love going to see Nan and Grandad, right? Because as soon as I got there, they'd take me to the, to the shop and they'd buy me like a, a brand new toy car to add to my collection. Um, but then we'd go home and they'd cook me this huge roast dinner and they'd give me a choice of three different desserts and I'd always choose all three. Um, but best of all, afterwards, my nan would sit me down in the lounge and she'd play a game with me called Words Out of Words. Now, Words Out of Words is a simple game. Uh, basically, you open the dictionary um, at a random page and you pick the longest word there. And then both players have got one minute to try and rearrange the letters in that word to make as many smaller words as they can. So, for example, if the word was grandmother, then you could make words like grand and mother. <laughs> or megaton. Um, <laughs> so my nan was a very bright woman, and um, basically she used to beat me hollow every time, but I always wanted to play again. And my other nan, my mum's mum, used to live down the road from us, and she'd come up every Friday to play cards, uh, gin, rummy, and contract whist. Uh, in the school holidays, I'd, I'd go and uh, stay with her when mum and dad were out at work, and she'd take me up, to the, up the street, as she called it, 
uh, up to the village shopping precinct. And, um, and she'd like to give me 50p to buy a comic and some sweets. Um, and sometimes on my way home from school, I'd stop in at her house and we'd sit down and watch Countdown together. Now, is anyone, everyone here familiar with Countdown? I can't really see you, but yeah. Okay, well, for anyone who doesn't know, uh, it's Channel 4's daily quiz show. Um, it's a friendly, good-natured parlour game. Uh, started in 1982. Uh, used to be presented by Richard Whiteley and Carol Vorderman. Um, now, there are three kinds of round. There's the letters game, uh, where basically nine letters come up and you have to make the longest word you can. Uh, it's a numbers game, which is a similar thing, but with numbers. Uh, you have to make a bigger number by adding and multiplying six smaller ones. And then, um, finally, there's the uh, conundrum, which is a nine-letter anagram. Now, this nan wasn't quite so bright, but she used to love playing along with a, with a pen and paper, and after a while, so did I. Now, um, when I was 16, my dad's mum got cancer. And uh, although she was a strong woman, she wasn't strong enough. So uh, in the summer of 1987, I drove up to see her in hospital for the last time. Um, she looked very, very ill, and she could barely sit up. But I managed to get her to look out of the window, and I showed her my car. I just passed my driving test. Um, I told her the news that I'd just been uh, given a place at university. And I introduced her to my first proper girlfriend. And she smiled like the biggest smile I'd ever seen her smile. Um, but sadly, the next week, she passed away. So I move on five years, and um, I've just finished university, and uh, the country is in the grip of what was then the worst recession in 50 years. Um, not anymore. Um, so six months, uh, I, I applied for 173 jobs and didn't even get an interview. So um, six months after leaving university, um, I was back at home with my parents, uh, working in the local pub to pay off my student loan. So my daily routine would go something like this. Um, get up, go for a run, work the lunchtime shift in the pub, come back, um, put the kettle on, sit down in front of the telly. Just in time, as it turned out, for countdown. Now, um, I started playing along, like, like I used to do with my nan, and um, I found after a few weeks I was quite often beating both contestants, which put an idea in my head. Um, I was quite good at this game. I kind of wanted to be on the telly, um, and it wouldn't be any problem getting time off work. So, um, so I applied to be a contestant, and much to my surprise, um, after an audition in a freezing hotel in Oxford on Christmas Eve, they invited me to, be, to go on the show. So three months later, um, I'm on the train to Leeds to make my television debut, and um, I'm nervous as hell the whole way there. Um, I've never been on telly before, I've barely been on stage before, um, and I got there, and the production staff were really nice, and one person gave, came and gave me a hug, and that made me feel a bit better. And Richard Whiteley came over and, and had some encouraging words, but it didn't help. Um, and when the lights went down before my first match, I was still actually shaking. Um, and it was at this point that my opponent in the first game, a seemingly kindly lady in her 50s, uh, leaned over to me and whispered, I got a second highest score of the series in my last game. I was being psyched on Countdown. So, and then she said, um, oh, uh, and I beat Dictionary Corner. So in other words, she'd come up with a better word than the experts. So much for the friendly, good-natured parlor game. Um, and as it turned out, it was a very close game because she, she was a very bright woman. Um, and going into the final conundrum, I was two points behind. So I, I had to get this to win. Um, the letters turned around uh, and, and they said, life grown. Both of our hands shot out to the buzzers. Any, anyone get that? Life grown is what the actual anagram is. 
flowering, anyway. Um, I said flowering like a split second before her, so I'd done it. I was through to the next round. Um, and then in the next game, I relaxed a bit, and I won that by 15 points or something. Um, but then I really started to... I, I've done it. I, if you win four or five games, then normally you qualify for the finals. So the next game, I won by 30 points, and then I really started getting cocky. I was like trying flashy words like ambrosia and apaloons. Um, I even attempted a bit of jovial banter with Richard and Carol. Um, and then, of course, it was, a, it was at that point that I got too cocky and I lost. I lost the next game. Um, and I thought, oh, that's it, I've blown it, I can't, I'm not going to make the finals. But one of the production assistants was doing some calculations in the corner and she said, no, you've probably squeezed in. So, um, at this point, um, I realised in my life, I've noticed a pattern emerging. Um, Leiden Community Jubilee Sports Day, 1977, second. Um, Swindon Battle of the Bands Contest, 1987, second. Um, French and Linguistics degree, Oxford University, 1992, <laughs> second. Um, and it was all because I, I'd, never, I'd only ever just done enough to get by. I'd never gone the extra mile. Well, this time I thought things are going to be different. I'm going to win this thing. I'm going to win it for, for the glory, for the undoubted, the undoubted sexual opportunities that will follow. <laughs> but most of all, I'm going to win it for my nans. So cue uh, Rocky theme and training montage. Right? I had uh, the three months before the final. So um, I stopped the job in the pub. I stopped applying... Uh, or other jobs, and instead I just religiously played and replayed every episode of Countdown. I bought the Countdown Puzzle magazine, then available in all good news agents, um, and finished every one. I, uh, I bought an anagram finder and learned all the nine-letter words, or 6,000 of them. Um, I started reading through the dictionary, uh, and because the numbers game was the weakest part of my Countdown skill set, I got a, a, a techie friend of mine to write a computer program that simulated it, and I played it 50 times a day. So three months later, I was pretty much as ready as I could be, except I'd only got up to T in the dictionary. Um, and, uh, and, it, and it paid off. My, uh, my try, I, I was on fire. Like, uh, in the quarterfinal, I was up against the second seed, and I won by, like, 25 points. And, uh, thank you. Uh, the, <laughs> the semi-final was a bit closer, but I was still quite a comfortable winner. But just before the um, semi-final started, I asked Richard Whiteley if I could say a few words. And uh, he said, sure. Um, so um, after the credits came, came up, I just gave a short speech about how I would never have been there if it wasn't for my two nans, because they were the people that got me interested in word games. So you'd have thought, um, going into the final, I would have been the overwhelming audience favourite, you know, like a polite, possibly handsome young man, um, tried fancy words, uh, amiable banter with the hosts. The gallant underdog, I was the seventh seed uh, up against the first. Um, unfortunately, my opponent in the final <coughs> wasn't even younger, handsomer man. Uh, his name was uh, Andrew Perry. He was from Farringdon in Oxfordshire, and he was 11 years old. <laughs> he was a child prodigy, uh, and he, he was so polite and nice, and he'd steamroll with everyone else, and he had, like, angelic face and blonde <laughs> curls all over his head. I was in a no-win situation, right? If I lost, I'd be a laughing stock for the rest of my life. Uh, but if I won, people would say, oh, congratulations on beating the 11-year-old. <laughs> Still, I knew which of the two outcomes I preferred. 
So, uh, and actually, uh, in the end, it wasn't much of a contest because his nerves got to him. And um, after about four rounds, I was 27 points ahead and he never really caught up. And I felt really cruel, but I felt really good at the same time. So. <laughs> uh, and as I left the studio afterwards, I could hear this plaintive 11-year-old voice was going, Dad, what does pleurisy mean? <laughs> so I went straight to the phone afterwards and I called mum and dad and told them the news. And then I called my surviving nan. I've won, Nan, I said. I've won Countdown. She said, uh, I know. You're going to be in the finals. No, 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 Nan, I've won the finals. She said, don't be silly. It's not on for two months. <laughs> and she put the phone down. Um, but when the final did go out, um, she was chuffed to bits. Um, she went straight up the street, up the village precinct, and she spent the whole day boasting to all her friends and anyone else who would listen about her. Her grandson was the champion of Countdown. And then um, that night, in the middle of a rainstorm, um, all alone, she had a heart attack and passed away. Um, so anyway, it was her funeral about a week later. And uh, in the Garden of Remembrance, my mum took me to one side and asked me a weird question. She said, Andy, what was your nan's name? I sort of gave her a blank look and said, Rose Martin. She said, yeah, yeah, but what was, what was the last conundrum in your countdown final? And I suddenly realised I hadn't noticed it at the time. But basically, the final conundrum, the final nine letters that had come up, uh, we'd been supposed to guess that the word was rainstorm. But they rearranged the letters to spell out Martin Rolls, which was weird. OK, that's my story. <laughs> Andy Bodal, everybody. So our next tragic performer, she's doing a show called Asking Nicely at 6.15 at the Stafford Centre for the rest of the Fringe. Put your hands together for Hannah Hutchman! Hello. Um, I'm... I'm short than that. Um, I am going to start by reading a poem from my shiny new pamphlet which arrived this week. Can I get an ooh? Awesome. This one's called Kiss and it goes like this. As music kisses ears, as grass kisses bare feet, as flame kisses Rizzler, as sun kisses shoulders and necks and bottles kiss lips, we don't. <laughs> Especially good having a prop for that one, you know when it's ended. Right, um, I'm gonna start by doing a poem from... Uh, my show is called Asking Nice, it's all about how and why we ask for permission. Where we do feel entitled or where we feel like neurotic and like we don't really belong and we're kind of waiting for someone else to tell us we're okay. Um, this is from that and it's called... Oh, could I have some of that too? Easter... 2005. I remember when, because at the end of our long weekend, we wrote the date in spent roaches, photographed it in fits of giggles, amazed at how many we'd smoked. We even had enough spare to put a wiggly line around the words, Easter 2005. We were free. We were alive. We were lightweights, passing spliffs, crisps, cans and sweets. Oh, could I have some of that too? 
We are old enough to cook for ourselves and young enough that this is a novelty. We are hyper, fueled by cider, M&Ms, herbs and spices. I'm the oldest by a year, so my ID somehow snuck a trolley full of booze past disapproving checkout clerks. The Easter holiday unrolls before us in rolling Devon Hills and a holiday home we were somehow allowed in. Oh, could I have some of that too? Meet the person I want to talk about. Let's call her Jo because Jo isn't her name. I don't know her that well, but the ten of us are friends. We must be if we're all here. Everything we have is pooled. We are so abundant in stuff there aren't any rules. Passing to the left took too long, so we pass one each way and maybe a wildcard third while Rosie rolls a fourth, sitting in the long grass in the sunshine. Oh, could I have some of that too? Joe doesn't seem to know she's one of us. Joe doesn't seem to know she's allowed. Every time we pass something around, and everything is always passed around, Joe doesn't seem to know that it's already coming her way. Joe's refrain over these few days is a timid, Oh, could I have some of that too? Initially, we said sure, of course. But three days in... And it's wearing thin. She has been told she's welcome so many times, but still, every instance needs assurance that she can have a jelly baby, a puff, some dinner. <laughs> Sometimes it makes you feel rushed. Yes, of course, everyone gets some pasta, just let me dish it up. Sometimes it makes you feel bad that nothing you say can put her at ease. But after four days of checking if she is allowed, four days of needing assurance... It's becoming self-fulfilling. Oh, could I have some of that too? This checking, am I included too, creates a gap. I never saw her as not part of the crowd until she kept letting us know she felt like an interloper. Oh, could I have some of that too? It's five days in and I've lost patience. Breaking down her disbelief is manual labour I can't be bothered with. I don't care enough to coax this frightened animal out of her burrow every time we pass some Pringles. We are all entitled to a Haribo, a look at that funny text, a toke. Of course you can have a toke. Are you joking? It's going round in a circle. That's how this shit works. The food is here. The booze is here. We are all sharing it all around. We are all welcome to it. And if that's not enough for you, then just, just... I'm not proud of myself. <laughs> but this verbal tick is taking its toll. Too many pleases puts you down. Down one rung. Down one rank. Now when I hear, oh, could I have some of that too? I want to say no. I hear others do it too. The yeah sure has become in a minute. The of course you can has become, we'll see how much we've got left. Oh, could I have some of that too? 2005 was a while ago. We were free. We were alive. We were lightweights. And I can remember the holiday home, but not everyone's name. And life has knocked me on my ass numerous times since then. These days, when things are going my way, 
often the first thing I feel is disbelief. I double check. Triple check. Oh, could I have some of that too? Joe, I think of you more often than I want to admit, and Joe, I'm sorry. I remember you clearly now, not just because I know I was a bit of a dick. These days, I often find myself waiting for someone else to welcome me, waiting for some big shiny sign to say I am allowed to things it's no one else's call to say. And I think back to you and Easter and all those endless puffs of tea and wonder how often I've put up my own walls, driven things away with my own disbelief. Of course the hot girl was just being friendly. Of course that promoter was just being polite. Of course my friend didn't actually mean it when he comes, said, come stay with me in Spain any time. I'm not just saying that. I really mean it. Joe, I remember you clearly now because I've always known your timid voice. I knew it long before I met you. I can try to put this in the past. Call it Exhibit A. Label this specimen with a date Easter 2005 and your name, but sometimes... When things are going my way, or when people I look up to treat me as an equal, often all I can think is, are you sure? This must be some mistake. I'm trespassing at this pub table. And all I need is a little reassurance. Someone to hold my hand and guide it, teach it to reach out and accept what's already being offered instead of sitting on sidelines, waiting, wondering, worrying whether... Oh, could I have some of that too? Thank you very much. And I'm going to round off with another little short one, which is, these are all in the shiny book, if you would like, four pounds. Uh, find me after the show. Um, this one is called Primark. Um, and if I was a better person, this would be about uh, forced labour and stuff, but it's not. Um, <laughs> and it goes like this. I have nothing to wear. It's the day before your funeral, and I am in Primark looking for something pink or sparkly, buying too many butterfly hair clips because I can't summarise you in one. And I don't know why I am apparently trying to summarise you in hair clips. It's the day before your funeral and I am titting about in fucking Primark with fucking hair clips. And it's dumb and it's frivolous and it's goofy and... I know you'd understand. I've been Hannah Chutzpah. Thank you. Yay! Hannah Chutzpah, everybody! So now... We come to our final slice of tragedy pie. Uh, right, who is it? Right, oh yes, of course, I'm very excited. So, his show is on at one o'clock at the Cowgate Head, and it's called The Human Luar, which kind of gives away, again, who he is. Put your hands together for The Human Luar! Thank you very much. I'm The Human Luar, and The Luar's I'm a man, can you hear me without the microphone? Yeah. Uh, Kevin Dwarf. Excellent! Woo! Yeah! Yeah, give it up, yeah! Woo! Awesome! 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 I'm exhausted. 
I'm exhausted. I've only been here for like five days, and I'm absolutely exhausted. Um, I've been working too hard, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, you know, working on the show and having a lot of fun, and and and, I'm, and just tracing up and down all those hills. Have you, how's, how's your Edinburgh been? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good, right, good. Yeah, it's nice. <laughs> such hard work to have fun. Um, it didn't used to be this way. I used to, uh, uh, it used to be easy. Uh, but now I'm just like, whoo, yeah, yeah, struggling to keep up with some, you know, with my, with my 27-year-old self. Um, ladies and gentlemen, I'm 39 years old. Still, <laughs> uh, I need to be uh, honest with you. Doing <laughs> the uh, thing. When we were kids, it was easy. Um, it's as though we didn't need... I'm weighed now not just by health, but by justifying myself all the time, trying to explain everything that happens. Uh, not to you guys, just to myself. I mean, you're sitting there and you're watching me, and that's your problem. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm standing up here in front of you all, and that's my problem. <laughs> um, and I feel that problem increasingly, and it wears, it wears me down <laughs> as we get older. The justifying the. Uh... Uh, I'd like to do a piece for you, which is about childhood and about the loss of innocence. Can anybody tell me what this is? <laughs> Fennel. 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 I can't see you, unfortunately. Me, the voice at the back there. Is that Hannah? Yes. Okay. No, I thought Hannah knew this. Yes. light in here, so I'd like you to just hold it up into the light. That, you see what I mean? <laughs> it's kind of nice up there, isn't it? It's like one little tiny pool of light there, and it kind of bounce, bounces off the light there. Um, fennel, ladies and gentlemen, uh, Latin name Funiculum vulgari, uh, native to the Mediterranean, but now grown all over the world. Uh, for its culinary uses, it's a herbaceous herb, oh, it's a, a perennial herb, I mean. Uh, I, got, I got told off last time I did this, I called it herbaceous perennial. It's not a herbaceous perennial, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Don't ever get the idea it's a herbaceous perennial. <laughs> it's a perennial herb. <laughs> perennial herb, uh, great for its culinary uses. The seeds are used in curries, uh, often. And this, of course, is a bulb of fennel. Uh, so what I advise you to do with that is to uh, grate it into a coleslaw, very healthy, uh, the energy for, for Edinburgh Hills. Uh, or what I like to do, being less, uh, less health-able, uh, is, uh, is I like to fry it in butter. Uh, what you can do, no you can, you grate it quite thinly, and then you can fry it in butter. It's got quite a bitter energy, right? a bit sugar there. And it's a no, it's, it's a tasty meal accompaniment. <laughs> fennel. <laughs> fennel, ladies and gentlemen, fennel. <laughs> <laughs>
so, well, sorry, we haven't, we haven't started yet. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, all, you, all we need to do is, 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 is hold it there in the light. That's all we need to do for now. Uh, I've been inspired by Fennel to write this uh, short dramatic piece. It's entitled... Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, short dramatic piece entitled <coughs> Mystery of Fennel. The scene. Midnight. A semi-detached house in Twickenham. The cosy, well-furnished bedroom of an 11-year-old girl. There was a long pause. <laughs> mummy! Mummy! What is it, darling? What is that? That's nothing, darling. You're just having another bad dream. Go back to sleep. No, Mummy! There's something outside! Oh, Belinda. <laughs> You're imagining things. No, I... I can see it. I can through the chink in my curtains. There's something moving. Go to bed, Belinda. <laughs> That's only the, the high branches of the willow tree in the garden swaying in the gentle October breeze. <laughs> no, Mummy. Behind the willow tree, up there. That bright thing. Up in the sky. Oh, that. I hoped you wouldn't see that. <laughs> what is it, Mummy? Well, Belinda, that's fennel. <laughs> fennel? But I thought fennel was a perennial herb. Can I use it? It is, darling. It is. But this is different fennel. This is the big fennel. <laughs> The big fennel, which appears shining in the sky on special nights such as this. The big fennel? You never said anything about the big fennel? No, I, I didn't think you should know about it. But you're a big girl now. You're old enough to know about the big fennel in the sky. <laughs> Tomorrow will be your twelfth birthday. Yes, Mummy. And the big fennel in the sky doesn't scare you? <laughs> no, Mummy, it's beautiful. It's like an angel. <laughs> look at it, look at it dance. The fennel is dancing, Mummy. <laughs> yeah, more, more, more. <laughs> look, at it, look at it swooping and spinning and, and darting about. Yes, Belinda. It's beautiful. Mummy, will you stay with me tonight so we can watch the big fennel dancing in the sky? <laughs> of course I will, Belinda. <laughs> Let's together sit on your bed and gaze out through the chick in your curtains and watch the big fennel dancing in the sky while I play my juice harp. Oh yes, mummy, please play your juice harp and we can watch the big fennel dancing in the sky.
Human Luau, everybody. I told you, you never know what you're going to expect in this tragic mixture. You never know what's going to come next. And, uh, and, and that's what came next. Uh, so, yes, uh, so this is the sort of period, uh, the moment in the show when I, uh, when, I, when I remind you guys about the beginning. You remember at the beginning when I, when I said about the Sadmin section and if you put £10 in the hat at the back... Uh, when you leave, you get the scent of tragedy. And if you put a couple of quid in the hat at the back, or more, then you get some uh, tragic snaps. Um, this is part of the free fringe, uh, which means it's free for you guys to come in and, and sit down and enjoy the tragedy. But it's not free for me and for the rest of the team to put this show on. Uh, so, uh, and also, yes, I mean, this year has been a bad year for me, actually, tragically. Uh, and I uh, lost my job and in fact it's a really silly year for me to be standing here on this stage and you can help me out with my direct tragedy uh, by putting some money in the hat when you leave there are more uh, you know meaningful reasons like supporting the arts because you know uh, the government aren't going to do it so we'll have to I guess uh, we'll have the big society but we won't let Cameron in because he's not helping I can't see him here he's not giving me any money so uh, that's that uh, please put some money in the hat as you go out if you can't afford to put money in the hat then don't uh, but if you can then you know you should probably yeah, I, you know morally think about it talk to you so uh, you can uh, you can find us at stand up for tragedy on Twitter you can like us or, or, or uh, friend us on on Facebook uh, I'm doing some other shows because I'm because I'm that tragic. I decided to do two shows in a day this uh, this week. So I'm doing uh, some conversations at the uh, Royal Oak as part of my conversation podcast, getting better acquainted at 3:15 every day. I've got different guests every uh, every day. We've got Shella Quint tomorrow. Uh, Faye Roberts, who does other voices, is in on Wednesday. We've got Tamakatan on Thursday. We've got Megan Cohen on Friday. She does a, does a great show called Take Me Home, which I recommend. And uh, that's me, basically, with a sad min over. I had a tragic childhood, and therefore I'm afraid of silence. So the best thing to do for someone like that, maybe, is to make some, some noise. Uh, and then I will not keep filling in the space. The tragedy is now over. Please take your glasses with you to prevent tragedy happening to the next show. This podcast was recorded by Stephen Harvey with music from George Brufton and Samuel Wilkinson and it was edited and put together by me.